Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. The first question Jesus asks is, who do people say the Son of Man is? And sometimes I feel like as a church, we get stuck on this question. What, what, is, what, is, what, what does everyone think about Christianity? How's Christianity doing? On like, if you had a thermometer, you know, like, are we, are, is it growing? Is it shrinking? Do people know the Bible? Do they not know the Bible? And a lot of times we get caught up on this first question, who do people say that we are? And there's, there's people who do, do studies of this kind of stuff. The Barna Group that I have up here. Um, most American Christians do not believe that Satan or the Holy Spirit exist. It's a brand new study, just a couple weeks old. So, yeah, you can imagine, you know, I don't, that's weird to me, but hey. But, but we love this kind of stuff. So when, you, when I read this, there's all sorts of blogs talking about how we're spiritually illiterate now and the, what's happening to the church. And if most of the people believe this, where are we headed? And all this kind of stuff. Newsweek in April 4th of this year. Just very recently, the end of Christian America, the percentage of self-identified Christians has fallen 10 points in the past two decades. How that statistic explains who we are now and what as a nation we are about to become. Oh, no. 10 points. What are we going to do? Who, who does everyone say Jesus is? That's the focus of these things. The New York Times, more atheists shout it from the rooftops. Right? It's talking about how atheists now are becoming more bold in their faith. I don't know how that works, but... Or in their lack of faith. They're becoming more bold in their lack of faith, right? Right? And, 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 and now, now, oh no, atheist groups are showing up. And what are we going to do? And how are we going to work this out? We, we kind of take a spiritual temperature of who do people say Jesus is. But Jesus doesn't spend any time on this question. He just wants to know their answer. Who do people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say uh, one of the prophets, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And Jesus doesn't freak out and he doesn't say that what's wrong with those people who are biblically illiterate. I can show them from the Genesis on the who, that why I'm the Messiah. He doesn't spend time on the, the, you know, how the Romans are going crazy. None of that. He moves right along from that. And he goes to one question. Who do you say I am? See, what we're going to see is that the kingdom of God, the advancement of the kingdom of God is not based on who people say Jesus is. It's based on who you say Jesus is. The impact that Christ is having in your life. That's going to be the measure of how we as a church advance the kingdom. Not in response to what of what others say. Our power comes from who we say Christ is. And so 
what I wanted to do, I wanted to talk about these four blessings of a godly perspective. Peter nails it right here. And you can imagine, oh, Peter must have been, because poor Peter, we've seen him, we've seen Jesus, you know, he forgot to bring bread, so he was upset about that. Jesus keeps telling him he has no faith, you know, right? He walks on water, does something great, and Jesus is just like, yeah, you have little faith. Like, man, I walked on water for a little while, that's cold, Jesus, right? Jesus is bugging him, bugging him. Finally, he nails it. And Jesus says, blessed are you. Happy are you. This comes right out of the Beatitudes. Remember when we were studying the Beatitudes? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the pure, uh, pure in heart. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Happy. Right? It means kingdom power has come. And what Jesus is saying right here is, kingdom has, uh, of power has come to you, Simon. Blessed, you're happy. And he gives four blessings uh, that I want to talk about this morning uh, of this kingdom power, this impact that a correct perspective of who Jesus is brings. Okay? The first is perception into spiritual things. Jesus says, For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Now imagine how exciting this is, okay? picture with me for a second. Jesus said that he didn't say anything that was not spoken to him by his father. He said he didn't do anything that his father did not tell him to do. Now, it helps when you're one with the father, you're both God, but he, he, he's saying, I get everything. I my, the humanness of my, of, of my, 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 my human form. Okay. I'm so connected that I don't, my body does not do anything. I don't hear my father telling me. And again, they're all one. I don't understand it myself, but uh, I just want to make sure people weren't going freaking out that I believe in three gods or whatever. So you've got the Trinity and Jesus is there in human form. And he's saying, I don't hear anything. And all of a sudden, Peter gets something revealed to him by that same father. All of a sudden, his eyes are open. He didn't come to this conclusion on his own. He didn't, he didn't figure it out. He didn't track the stars. He didn't do all this stuff. The Heavenly Father, God the Father, revealed this to him. And when God reveals something to you, and you act on it, amazing things happen. Amazing things happen. God's you are literally being used by God. But your, 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 your mind is open to the spiritual. To the heavenlies. And this is what happens. I'm going to read a section of scripture um, that we read last week. And we'll probably read portions of it next week as well because it ties in here. Now listen. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. And you can imagine for Peter. Did you hear him a lot of times when we've been going through Matthew? Going, you know, you know, you understand that the Pharisees were upset when he said that, right? It was foolishness to him. And now, all of a sudden, his eyes are being opened that this is the Messiah. They're foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The New American Standard Version uses the word appraised. I don't know if you've ever watched that, um, what's the name of that show, the... Uh, the road road show, antique road show. Yeah. Right. So you bring your junk out of the, you know, you don't, it looks expensive to you because it's old. And so you bring it to these guys and you stand in line and you've got your, you know, moose head or whatever it is, you know, and you walk up and you, I got this moose head and they go, oh my goodness, this moose head is, you know, 500 years old. It's worth, 
you know, $100,000, and you're like, yay, it was just a moose head, and now it's worth so much, right? Why? Because they appraised it. Other times, you bring the moose head, and they go, uh, sorry, and they flip it around. It says, made in China, 1970, and it's worth, you know, $5 or whatever. No, no good. They appraise those items, and you're either happy or sad, right? What's happening to Peter is he's beginning to have his eyes open and he's beginning to be able to appraise things spiritually. And when our view of Jesus is accurate, we can do the same thing. I'll give you an example. If my view of Jesus is just that he's a good teacher or he's my get out of hell free card, okay? I guess I accept Jesus. Yay, I'm I'm saved from hell. Fantastic, I'm on my way. With that incorrect view of Jesus, I'm going to start making decisions and appraising things in my life incorrectly, inaccurately. But if I see Jesus as the way, the truth, the life, that I was dead in my sins, dead in my transgressions, no hope, and he snatches me out of the pit and allows me to be with God for eternity, now I can begin to look at things in my life that had value, and I say, they don't have any value anymore. Only the things of this kingdom matter. Because I was saved, I was snatched out of, I was in chains, I was in bondage, and now I'm set free. The things that used to be important to me, ambition and pride and, and self-promotion, those things now, they get brought up, oh, those, are, those are worthless. Those are no good. And then humility, things that were of no value now become valuable. Why? Because of my accurate perception of who Christ is. Is Christ my king? If that's the case, if he's my king, then I'm going to begin to value things based on that perspective. If it's just a religion and we just come to church on Sunday, we're going to have an incorrect perception, an incorrect value of what's important. Does that make sense? So his heavenly father revealed this to Peter. Now, again, it's one of these things, probably because I've spent all week in this text, but it just makes me want to jump up and down. That God the Father revealed something to Peter. That God the Father revealed his will and his divine nature to us in the word of God. That's fantastic. That's something of value. So it goes on. They're spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgment about all things. What is this doing in my life? Why do I need this? If if, if Christ saved me, if he redeemed me, if I'm a new creation, if if Christ led led a, a sinless life and he calls me to do the same, what am I doing with this? This has no value. See, he makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. This is important because what it means is when you make judgments... They're going to look weird sometimes. You know, some people say, oh, leave your, leave, well, they don't say it to me, but, you know, leave your spouse or whatever. That, this wasn't a conversation I had with anybody. I just wanted to, right? Okay. So they, 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 they'll say, you know, leave yourself. God, you, know, you just need to be happy. It's, it's not working out. But you look and you go, well, who's Christ? What do I know about Christ? Well, Christ said that my marriage is like his relationship with the church. Is he going to leave his, the church? No. Okay, now my marriage is more valuable because I have a correct view of what Christ is doing. Someone say, well, you're crazy hanging out with that person. Or, you know, or you say, hey, I had to quit my job. What? You were getting paid so much. No, they kept asking me to do things that, that, were, that, that were incorrect. 
that was sin. They were making me respond in ways that, that were ungodly. So, like, oh, man, you lost your job. That's, it looks foolishness. But you judge those things. You, you discern those things. You analyze them. Now watch the next verse here. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, I don't know if any of you are in small groups. I hope you're all in small groups. And if you want to be a small group leader, let me know. But the, the, on, if you turn your bulletin over on the back or the notes, there's a question on there. And it says, what would your life look like if you really had the mind of Christ? Something to that effect. Think about that. We have the mind of Christ. Does, does my life reflect that? What Christ do I believe in? Perception into spiritual things. All of a sudden, you will begin to value and devalue things based on spiritual perception, not physical perception. When, you're, when, you're, when your idea of who Christ is in your life, when that is accurate, you'll start to change those valuations. Okay? Second, participation into something bigger than us. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. This is, goes way beyond. Peter makes the right declaration about who, who Christ is. And Jesus says, based on that, you're going to have a tremendous kingdom impact. Now, there's some confusion sometimes on this verse. And so I just wanted to teach for just a little bit about what this verse means. Because some people believe that Peter was the pillar of the church. That, that what Jesus was saying to Peter was, man... You were Simon, but now you're Peter, the rock. And upon this rock, Peter, I will build my church. If you go to the original language, you're going to see two words used for rock. The first one is Petros, and that's Peter. He says, stone, essentially, rock. You're now a stone or rock. And upon this bedrock, this Petra, okay, Petros, Peter, you're a stone. You're one of the stones of this bedrock. What's the bedrock? The bedrock is his correct interpretation of who Christ was. It's the gospel. Upon this gospel, upon the fact that I am Christ, not me, but Jesus is saying, upon the the, the statement that I am the Messiah, the Son of the living God, I'm going to build my church on that. It's very important for us to understand this. The church of Jesus Christ is not built on Peter. Peter is just one of the vessels used in the bedrock. The bedrock of the church of Jesus Christ is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that we were dead in our transgressions, that God came down in the form of man, fully God, fully man, died on the cross, and we're saved. That is the Petra that that the church is built on. It's something bigger than we are. And he's saying, look, you're you're just a stone in this. Okay, but I'm going to build my church on that profession of faith. Okay, I want I want you to see if we're going to look at Ephesians real quick. Ephesians chapter two, uh, verses one through nine. I want to give you an idea, and we're going to we're going to be following this line of thought throughout the whole thing. So I was a little afraid when I was doing my sermon this week that uh, that I wasn't going to make any sense. <laughs> so. I hope I don't. I've been praying that, that uh, this will all make sense when we get to the very end. Um, so Ephesians chapter 2. If I could find Ephesians. What a bad thing when your pastor can't even find Ephesians. Okay. Basically what happens through, through the verses 1 through 3 is that 
uh, Paul is kind of telling us where we're coming from. And here, here the, here's, how, here's how we're described. Praise God for Paul. We're dead in our transgressions. Okay? It, it, doesn't, get any be- it doesn't get better as we go along. Uh, we're following the ways of the world, the prince of the air, Satan. We are gratifying the cravings of our nature. We're following our desires and thoughts. And we were objects, objects of wrath. I don't normally do this, but just turn to your friend next to you and just say, you're an object of wrath, right? That was fun. Okay, good. Okay. Now watch. This is, this is where we're going with this. So this is where we were. And, and it's very important that we understand this, okay? Because this is our correct perception of who Christ is. I don't care how good we all were growing up or how bad we all were. We were objects of wrath without Christ. We were destined for eternity without God. Now watch in verse 4 of Ephesians. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. We get to participate in something much greater than ourselves. He made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works so that no one should boast. Now, listen. That's the correct perception of who Christ is. And you can imagine when you've connected to that, when you've connected to that fact that I was dead in my sin, I was an object of wrath, I was satisfying my own desires, right? I was serving the prince of the air, Satan. And God, by his grace, snatched me out. How much of a difference is that going to make in my life? That I get to now participate in something way bigger than myself. In his church. Now, he goes on. And this is what's so exciting, guys. For me. (laughs) Okay? It says, I will build my church. Is what Jesus says. He is going to build his church. We are not going to build his church. And he is not going to build our church. Okay? Those Those are two kind of ways we get confused on this. We say, we're going to do great things for the kingdom. And I believe we are. But it has to be through his timing, his power, his direction. Because it's his church. Other times we say, God, you know, grow our church, build our church. It's his church. So if all of a sudden one day he says, yes, I'm going to build my kingdom through Living Spring. You're going to sell the property and all. You know, he's not saying that, but he has the right to do that. He is building his church. Now, if you're a pastor... This is so, it just takes all the pressure off. I mean, you certainly do due diligence, but I don't have to freak out about what's going to happen in the living spring. All I have to do is be faithful. And it's the same with you, with you guys as well, both of us together. God has given you gifts, special gifts from his spirit, spiritual gifts, encouragement, right? Gifts of service, gift of teaching, All you have to do is be faithful in that. Let him build his kingdom. Let him build his church. Just don't get in the way. (laughs) And he will operate through you. 
Okay, me as a pastor, he's given me a vision for Living Spring, you know, that we would reach our neighborhood and the surrounding cities with the love of the Father to restore life to healthy relationship with the Son and to respond to a move of God's Spirit. I don't know how that's going to (laughs) happen, right? I just go before him all the time and go, is this what we should do? Is this what we should do? Just to try and not get in the way of what his Spirit would do. It just takes a lot of pressure off to know if you're at work, I'm just going to share the gospel with this person and then it's off of me. I don't have to worry about, oh, gee, I should do this. Now, we're supposed to be wise in it, but it just takes a lot of pressure off. It's his church and he's building it, okay? And no matter what any statistic says, no matter what any article says, Jesus is not going to fail in building his church. We don't look and go, oh, man, what are we going to do? He's got it under control. We just have to make sure we don't get in the way that we're empty vessels that can be used by him. Participation in something bigger than us. Number three, powerful kingdom impact. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And I didn't write, I didn't have this after there, but it goes on to say, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I want to talk about that a little bit because there's, there's some... Uh, not controversy, but just confusion, I guess, into that section of Scripture uh, in Matthew chapter 15 about this whole idea of binding on earth and loosing and all this kind of stuff. And it helps us to look at the original language, okay? And again, we're not trying to get all fancy pants or whatever, but it's in the perfect tense passive voice, this Scripture is, okay? Which just means... You know, stay in school, kids. That's all that means. Uh, but basically what, what the idea is, okay, it's not, it, the New American Standard says it better. This is what, what it says here. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Now, I'm not coming down on anybody's prayer life. I'm not making fun of anyone, but... A typical term you'll hear in prayers is, Satan, I bind you in the name of Jesus. And it comes from this verse here. But it's an incorrect interpretation. There's lots of things we can declare out of Scripture, but that particular thing is not one of them. To say, I bind you, Satan, is not from this Scripture. Because you have to start asking yourself a lot of questions. First of all, in Revelation 22, God is going to bind Satan himself. And he'll be bound for a thousand years in that mo- and we'll have the, uh, the, the new millennium. OK, so God's going to do it. So for us to do it. And then the other question you have to ask is, if you do it once, why do you have to do it again? Like, does he keep getting out? I don't know. And then what are you loosing? OK, so here. So just bear with me. I, I just I, I'm not doing this to make fun of anybody's doctor or anything. But when we understand this, it's going to make a lot a, lot, a big difference. OK, you still with me? Okay, good. All right. She was looking at me like, you are going there. Okay. So here's what we know about Satan. Here's what we can declare from the scripture when we pray, okay, what we, how we can connect. So, okay, so we've taken out, I bind you, Satan. We can't say that, okay? I mean, you can, but it's not scriptural. Here's what we can say. Out of Isaiah 53, 54, 17, and there's some verses in your outline on this section. No weapon that's formed against you will prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. 
This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. So in prayer, I can say, you know what? I don't know what I'm going through right now, but no weapon that's formed against me is going to prosper because I serve a God, a living God. The greater is he that's in me than him, than him that's in the world, right? We, 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 we've got that. That's uh, Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We can pray that. You know what, Lord? I don't know what I'm going through right now, but I trust you, and I know that all things work together for good. First Peter 5.8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, okay? But resist him firm in your faith. So we resist him. We stand firm, Ephesians says, in the armor of God. We stand firm with the helmet of salvation and the, spirit, the sword of the spirit. They are, the, our feet shod with the gospel of peace, Right? These are things that we can declare in prayer. Now, so then what does it mean, this binding and loosing? Okay. Well, because it's in this this uh, um, perfect tense, it means that God, through somehow through his power, he's worked it out already. And our job is to remain in his will and not get in the way. Listen to what it says here in Ephesians 2.10. Remember that section of scripture I read where it says, for by grace you've been saved uh, through faith? This is the next verse after that. We are his workmanship, his, his craftsmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. This binding of loosening happens when we operate in his will. Okay, we don't say to God, jump and he all of a sudden, whoa, we got to bind this stuff up in heaven. And they all start binding stuff in heaven that we're buying on earth. He has prepared us good works for us to accomplish. He's prepared these beforehand and we are to walk in them. And when we do, we will be binding and we will be loosening as God has already ordained. Okay, now it gets crazy because you go, oh, well, if he's already worked it all out from the beginning, you know, our puny minds can't understand that anyway, but. We'll do that on another Sunday. Okay? Here's another way to pray that goes on with this binding and loosening. This is probably one of the best prayers you can pray if you want to know about binding and loosening. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus prayed that. It's the Lord's prayer. The whole concept of that is... You have done a great work and we want to be walking in line with that. And when we do, when we walk in the will of God, in righteousness and in obedience, great kingdom things happen. The gates of hell will not withstand that kind of lifestyle. You know, listen, guys, I've talked about this before. Gates are for defense. Okay? The army of Satan isn't carrying gates with them. They've set up camp, and the idea of this verse, the gates of hell will not uh, withstand against it, means we're on the attack. The church of Jesus Christ is on the attack. Your life in Christ is on the attack, not on the defense. So when you operate in, in, with a right perspective of who Jesus is, and you say, look, eternity with God through what Christ did on the cross, I can start making these hard decisions. And the kingdom, the kingdom of Satan cannot stand up against that. So you might have an area in your life that Satan has had a hold on for years and years and years and years, gripped by fear or, 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 or an encampment of bitterness. 
And as you begin to operate in the Spirit of God in obedience through the Word of God, you just kick open those gates. You know, uh, that's... I, I've watched too many Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. But, uh, but, but that's the concept. It, the, the gates of hell cannot prevail against that kind of obedience. What God has already ordained beforehand, you walking in that obedience, when you do, you're kicking open the gates of hell. Okay? When we as a church are making radical decisions in our lifestyle and our finances and how we love each other, how we forgive each other, the gates of hell cannot stand up against that. All based on the answer to the question, who do you say that I am? If he's just the head of a religion, we are going to be very, very ineffective. Because we're, that's what, that'll be our focus. But if he's my redeemer, if I was destined to eternity without him, and he snatched me from the pit and he saved me, that's a completely different lifestyle change. And I, it's easy for me to give up stuff for that kind of thing. Okay? Powerful kingdom impact. Lastly, promise of faithful uncertainty. You go, man, what's faithful uncertainty? Jesus goes on, he says to them, now listen, Peter finally gets it right. He answers the right question. Jesus goes, yes, Peter, exactly. That's it. You got it. And then he says, now don't tell anybody. <laughs> it's like, What? Don't tell anybody. You're the Messiah. We got it. We picked it right. We're on the right team. I'm telling everybody. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to walk in faith for a while because you really don't yet understand what it all means. Now, when we read First and Second Peter, Peter figured it out. He understood. But at this point, he didn't. And what I want us to understand is that through this, through this journey with Christ, we're not going to get it figured out. That's why we call the series Next Step. There's always a next step, always a next step, always a next step. And the idea is that we walk by faith, not by sight. As Americans, we want to walk by sight, right? We want to know, you know, what's our house payment going to be? Am I going to have my job for the rest of my life? What's my retirement going to be? I did the math. I'm okay. That's not a powerful kingdom lifestyle. The Lord won't allow that. Now, he might allow you to retire in peace. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking he wants a life of faith. You say, how do you know that? Because Hebrews tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. And what ends up happening, at least in my life, I'm going along dandy, and all of a sudden I'm faced with something, and I'm like, Lord, I bind you and I bind Satan in the name of Jesus. No. I, I want it done. I want it fixed. I want it finished. But what's the faith in that? And so Jesus is telling them something. You're going to have to wait until this all gets revealed. And I think when we have a correct perception of who Jesus is, we are going to end up with times in our lives when we do not understand why we're going through what we're going through. Paul had one of those things. He said, a messenger of Satan was sent to buffet, to, to, to attack me. And three times I prayed to the Lord, get rid of this thing. And the Lord said, no, my, my grace is sufficient for you. I'll be fine. You'll be fine. I'll be fine. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? Right? Paul went through that. This idea, there's always going to be uncertainty. 
It was in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 here. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, again, a correct perspective, and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. Galatians 3.11 says this, Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. So as we, as we look at this idea of, okay, I understand who Christ is. I've answered the question, who do you say that I am? He's my king. He's the sacrificial lamb. He's uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? He's my strong tower. I got all this stuff, of a, a correct perspective of who Jesus is. And then I begin to walk in power, but in uncertainty, because I don't know how it's going to work out. I know how eternity is going to work out, but I don't know how next week's going to work work out i'm just a vapor right that did you guys see the article in the newspaper uh in i think it was covina high school the nurse the softball coach had a heart attack and the nurse ran out gave him cpr saved his life and then killed over dead right right after she saved his life or her life i don't know which one but then i mean how what It could happen to any one of us, guys. There's no certainty. So we walk in this radical, this radical life of faith of going, Lord, here's my circumstances right now. How do I line myself up with the good works you've already prepared beforehand so I can do radical kingdom damage? Does that make sense? That's the binding and loosening. That's the thing that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. An obedient life, living it the way God wants us to live it.